0: Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different Fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira.
1: Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Kyle Kemper. Kyle is a author, thought leader, consultant, you name it, in the crypto space who has worked with several players in the blockchain space. Most recently, he has authored a book called The Unified Wallet that talks about the future of being able to put all your currencies into one unified wallet. Easy name to guess. So with that, here's my conversation with Kyle. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Jason. Thanks for coming on. Great to be here, buddy. Great to be here. Yes, good to see you again. We met at the IFP conference, which was also an episode of the podcast. Anyone wants to look at that by all means, but Kyle Kemper is a crypto enthusiast slash author slash thought leader in the space. And we uh, we had a great conversation on stage and I wanted to basically revisit that and expand
0: on that. So thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. We really had a good, uh, I thought that was kind of an eye-opening morning we had at the Casino de Lack me. meet. Not, not the slots though, but
1: yes. So, Kyle, tell us about you and what it is you do.
0: Sure. So, no, I guess since like 2013, I've been, I had my kind of Bitcoin awakening. And then since then, I have been a relentless enthusiast, ambassador, evangelist, student, teacher of this technology and the space. I've worked with a number of exchanges, some social payment platforms. I'm deeply involved with the Blockchain Association of Canada, which used to be called the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada. I advise a number of awesome projects within the space. I like to generally just help people. I attend kind of conferences and events and kind of activations around the world, around crypto, but also expanding out beyond that. And most recently, I released a book called The Unified Wallet, Unlocking the Digital Golden Age, uh, which is available on Amazon, uh, which is a—it's um, kind of like a visionary, I don't know, maybe a little bit prophetic piece about what's possible when we, when we have a single place to store all of our keys and digital assets and digital funds. Happy to dive into all that. Well, we can definitely do that. So
1: before we get there... Tell me about your history and how you came to be involved in the crypto sphere.
0: Sure. So, I mean, like, you know, without going too, too long, I, uh, you know, I'm a Canadian. I've born in Ottawa. My, uh, half of my family was kind of political and the other half was kind of business. My father was a real estate agent and owns restaurants in, uh, in Ottawa as well. I went to uh, Dalhousie University and studied uh, business and finance and entrepreneurship, marketing, a little bit of delving into philosophy and law as well. After that, I worked in venture capital with BDC in their uh, IT division, which was very eye-opening to the world of investments. joined a company called Vayu back in the day, which was a spin out of Research in Motion or from some ex-Rim guys. And you know we were building like BlackBerry apps back in the early days, <laughs> and man, it was so crazy. Like we had this app called VPost that I was like, this, I'm like, I really like sunk my teeth into it. But from our phones, we were able to capture voice, video, audio forms, like location. It was such a powerful tool. And uh, that was one of the early experiences about working with a very engineering savvy team and the importance of product, and branding, and packaging, and ultimately learned some good lessons from that. Moved on uh, after that, actually spun a little, spun a, an app of my own out of that, called Camera Plus, Plus. Wow. and uh, I then kind of got tired of, uh, to be honest, I was like, you know, kind of tired of the tech scene uh, for a little bit, and, and on the computer work, I found it kind of isolating other than conferences, so I went and uh, I changed gears and worked at the family restaurant in a kind of a serving and bartending role for a number of years, which just kind of like put me out there and forced me to communicate and really helped improve my communication skills and also see how the world of uh, the service industry worked. And it was through that that someone kind of came into, into the restaurant one day and started talking about Bitcoin. And I was really curious and I just listened and listened and listened. This man had all the answers and uh, he kind of triggered me. On it and I started working with him actually. In the end, it turned out that he wasn't the most like legitimate individual, and I parted ways from him.
1: Uh, fair enough, now, little did he know that he was talking to someone who had your kind of background who
0: was waiting on him, so might be serendipitous uh, yeah it was it was kind of hilarious, but every kind of gold rush attracts snake oil salesmen, and I would pin that man up to that, and I you know separated myself from that and, and you know really believed in the technology what was there and we'd put a Bitcoin ATM in the clock tower on Clarence Street in Ottawa. And I remember one day my phone rang. It was the head of uh, it was the aide to Senator Gerstein, who was the head of the or the chair of the Banking Trade and Commerce Senate committee, the BTC committee and uh, they were doing a study on digital currencies and they wanted to come in and see how. The Bitcoin ATM worked. They wanted to do a field trip. I was like, you know what? I can just bring the machine to you. It wasn't a very <laughs> good machine. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. We'd love that. We'll give you two hours. Like, two hours. <laughs> what am i going to do with two hours? <laughs> two hours. Then word got out that I had two hours of this. And all of a sudden, Larry O'Brien, the former mayor of Ottawa, like you know, reached out to me. He was part of CA Vertex, which was Canada's largest exchange at the time. And then I had Siba Wan from BitAccess, who had made the ATM itself. And we also had Victoria Van Eyck, who had been my kind of partner. And we were calling the Bitcoin Strategy Group at the time. So the five of us showed up and we did a, we did a transaction on the ATM. We had Joseph... David Toth of Sea of Vertex explaining the way the exchanges work. It was pretty interesting because the Senate had been studying kind of Bitcoin for like six months and they never had actually like seen a transaction or seen how it worked. So he was like, <laughs> them. He was like look, I was like, Victoria, here's a $20 bill. Like, can you send me, can I buy $20 of the Bitcoin off you? She's like, certainly show me your address. I showed her my address. Gave her the $20 bill, she sent it, it was like boom. And everyone was just like, whoa, like that was it. And like, notice there was no like accepting of this money. There was no yeah. it's, it's a mailbox for money. Put it in, it's done. So, you know, after that, that was a really awesome event. And then I went up working with CA vertex for like a year and a half. They got sold to CoinSetter, which they got sold to Kraken. So I worked like, you know, with all those different organizations. I also worked at that same time with a company called ChangeTip, which was like an incredible solution that allowed you to send Bitcoin over Twitter and Reddit and in text messages, another (laughs) engineering, over-engineering kind of case. One of those lessons from the past. You're a little bit ahead of the curve there. (laughs) A little bit ahead of the curve. It was was so awesome, but had it just... Like with change tip, I mean, I still, I really believe that it was in the name and like, you know, a name can, I can really kind of like create lots of assumptions. Just the word tip in the name inferred that it was some sort of gratitude service when truly it was like a Venmo killer. It was like crypto Venmo social payment platform. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And then ultimately they, uh, they kind of got acquired by Airbnb and uh, you know, one of the, most engaging and active platforms like today's Giving Tuesday we had this whole uh, Tipping Tuesdays thing every week we'd go out we'd spray little bits all over the the world and give people and reward people for their good acts by giving them Bitcoin like simply over Twitter there was the uh, you know, there was the Nepal earthquake. We raised like I think like something like nine thousand dollars, which at the time was like twenty six Bitcoin, for the Red Cross, because someone at Red Cross had set up their account. It was super easy. It was super high. Oh, and then I don't know, just being around and being kind of like you know present and listening and active. I've been advising a bunch of companies. And one company that I'm really fond of is called Data Wallet, based in New York, and we're looking to like allow individuals to basically take reclaim control of their data and earn from it without exposing it,
1: which is really interesting. Mm. So that's interesting. So you're talking about some sort of big data play that monetizes
0: at the individual's ownership level versus at the aggregator. Indeed. And reclaim. So, so tapping into all your different sources, because they're disparate and becoming Mm -hmm. an aggregator and then applying like AI and deep learning on your own data to build out really strong profiles And then like, you know, you can be directly kind of compensated for your data or incentivized for
1: it. So instead of of Facebook and Google reaping the benefits of it, the individual who's providing that data actually has control over it and monetize
0: it themselves. Exactly. And it just adds the individual into this paradigm. Like to date, it's always been like uh, the AdSense, AdWords and the kind of the buyer, and yep. like that you know, equation, but now we're able to put the individual into the, so like, I really believe, like we are, we operate in a world where there's a fair degree of like technology welfare. Like if you think about like Facebook is free, like, you know, Google is free. Yep. And ultimately, like there's back end ways that we are, they're able to earn off these, these solutions. Um, yeah, free is a notion,
1: right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's not free. We are giving up something of value that is of little perceived value to the individual, but of huge perceived value, of huge monetary value to these companies, right? And you know, this is one of the, the implications of Bitcoin that's always attracted me was the ability to flip that model and allow the actual provider. Now, it's going to be microtransactions. Like, I'm not going to make 50 bucks for releasing my data to x company right but if i basically say i'm willing to approve x y and z companies and i you know they target market me but now the marketer ends up some of that money ends up coming to me as opposed to just the aggregator hugely valuable
0: well i mean like you know i in in my book i talk about this too i talk about like you know i don't know if you are shoppers optimum member or not i am So, well, it's a PC, right? So. so I am too. And I remember when I, I, and for years I hadn't been. And when I actually got the card, I got the card, they scanned it, they issued it right away. They didn't ask for me any information from me right out of the gates. Me, I, no, I don't think they asked anything. And then I like went and registered the card and it just gave me a bunch of free form, like open text boxes where mm-hmm. you know, I'm putting all this data in. And then selectively kind of choosing their data. And this is like the basis of their entire loyalty program. They rely on this data and it's free, free entry. It's terrible data. Bad data. Bad, bad data. And there's also like this the personal subjective of what like the aspirational me versus the reality me, which can lead to skewed data. You know, you <laughs> Absolutely. No, I will not admit to doing something wrong or something that I'm embarrassed by. Uh, yeah. Versus like, you know, when you actually have, and this is like, you know, the data wallet kind of argument It's like, look, we can just like pull in your Amazon, we can pull in your banking records, we can pull in your, spoke, all these different interests. And like, you know, we can just make the signing up for this like super simple and super like liquid. Yeah. And seamless, yeah, which ultimately will lead to better data. Absolutely. I mean, and the better controls on that data. I mean, this is
1: you said it right. You're aggregating it in one place, controlling it, and then basically determining which way to put it out there. And then, therefore, yeah, we talk about monetizing it. So let's talk about your book, The Unified Wallet. Give me the Cole's notes on uh, the elevator pitch on, on what it's about and why it's important.
0: Sure. So the Unified Wallet, it is uh, unlocking the golden age is kind of the, the tagline to it. And we basically like, the reason for it was because over the years of setting people up with wallets, I realized that, you know, the digital wallets that we're dealing with, mostly money clips, and they're like digital money clips, they allow you just to hold the cash. But, yeah. but everything that's in our wallet, and you know, there's this assumption, there's this belief, there's this understanding that we're going, like, our phone will turn into our wallet one day. And I'm like, well, okay, well, now that we have blockchain as well, like Bitcoin solved, you know, how do we have digital cash, but now blockchain technology as well is going to solve, how do I create secure digital cards, if you will, for everything to replace everything in my wallet and all the different, like the implications for it are massive. But question is, where is this all going to lie? And what I'm trying to paint here is the need for an open digital wallet and showcase what's possible. So looking at things like open source design, looking at digital identity, looking at payment experiences, looking at like, you know, healthcare applications, succession planning, the legal applications, voting applications that like, you know, become unlocked with this. The ways that we secured this, the important considerations around security and redundancy, because when you, if we bring all of this information into this one wallet or package or a briefcase or a portal or whatever you want to call it, that's certainly a lot of very sensitive data. So you want to make sure that that is, you know, has best of the best in terms of uh, security.
1: As you said, redundancy, so you don't lose it, but also access rights. So, I mean, God forbid someone loses whatever tool or code was being used to access all their information. They shouldn't have
0: to start from scratch again. And how do you solve that problem? Exactly. And there's other considerations like, you know, what do you do with children? They have birth certificates. They have things like, you know, parents hold on to that. And then at some point, like, you know, they'll become ready to hold their own digital wallet I feel like this is like this is something that we're going towards, too, and it's very important that we have uh, stewardship of this technology and like honorable stewardship and inclusivity by design, because if this is done in a deceitful manner, it has a very kind of dystopic potential to it. Absolutely.
1: I mean, and not just that, I mean, even the proprietary man, right? So the first thing I thought of was Apple Wallet, which works lovely. But the problem is, again, now I'm segmented into to, to one ecosystem. For this thing to be truly universal, it's got to be open source, as you said. And on top of that, it's also going to, I mean, if you look at the, we can't allow individual companies to basically try to carve out their own proprietary version of this, because we're just going to lead to a, an absolute cluster of a mess, kind of like the chat. Situation in, in North America versus China. Everything's on WeChat in China. Everything's on Google Chat or on Link, on uh, iMessage and what's about up, five buddy? other WhatsApp, oh, yeah. five other protocols. Right? Right. And, every, and, and you know what? You ask anybody, they're just like, "Can I just have one place that it all goes?" But every other company's staring at each other,
0: saying, "No." I think uh, that's like an excellent example of like you know the dystopic potential of it underneath a underneath. Mm-hmm. A, underneath. Oh, yeah. Like you know, a central authority that has omnipotent, omniscient views into the system, and even yeah. I even talked to some people from Tencent around this, and they're very interested as well in how do they they you know solve that and break out. of That it. is a fine
1: line to walk when you're working in China. <laughs> very fine line. I mean, we've already everybody's probably already heard about the social crediting system, about how they're actually making that episode of um, Black Mirror come to life where they're actually rating you based on every interaction you have and activities and actions and whatever. And yeah, again, kind of this is just another dystopic paradigm for them to to, or dystopic platform for them if they want to go that way. So I agree with you. It's a matter of we, we one of the most contentious Rights issues right now around the world is data rights. And I think you'll agree with me on that. And we are still in the early innings of figuring this out around the world. So I think I have to think that blockchain is going to be both a potential solution and a potential curse if we don't do it right.
0: Yeah. And then when we have things like, you know, multi signature technology, too, means, you know, multiple parties are required in order to open data, which involves a lot of the corporate things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the voting perspective, I think if we have, the fundamentals of democracy stand to get changed if we can be able to vote from our phones. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, well, if, compliance ends up being a lot I would hope participation ends up being a lot better than 50%, if that's the case. And the informed voter. Like, how often have sure. you showed up to the voters to the polling station and actually n- known like the majority of the people, the options? I love Election Day because I find out of all these parties I didn't know existed in my area.
1: <laughs> Apparently, I have three different communist groups in my, in my riding. <laughs> so who would have known?
0: And yeah. you know, at least having – and they're, oh, you're presented with them on the ballot. But other than that, you're not – Yeah. I think there's an opportunity for, you know, for a little bit more
1: information around that. So so you do a lot of consulting into, into startups. How have you seen incumbents uh, in the ecosystem or in the, fi- in the financial ecosystem dealing with this? Like, is it still at the stage of curiosity? Like, how much actual testing do you see happening?
0: So I think a lot of what type of incumbents? Like, which... which well, Financial
1: about. industry. Let's talk about the, you know, investment insurance, banking, um, that sort of, even accounting. What, what kind of, what are you seeing in that space? Yeah, you?
0: well, I mean, I remember, like, listening to, like, the CEO of uh, ATB Bank, who actually has become very progressive in terms of their innovation outlook and the work they're doing around digital identity. But I remember listening to them at a payments conference a couple years ago in Calgary, and he was like, we're not going to work with disruptors. Like, we have no interest in working with disruptors like it's not gonna happen like we'll say we're going to but we have no interest in it well that'll that'll go on your tombstone continue <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I was like you know at the time I was there like you know talking about the social wallet which was my first kind of iteration around it was taking change tip and just putting a new face on it to leverage their system but with a different brand and just focusing on sending and requesting money like in crypto like god I, you know, I'm not gonna get on that but Ultimately, like, I remember him actually coming up to me and being like, keep going. Like you're not gonna win this. You have no chance. Like it's not gonna happen. Like you did a great job, but you're not gonna win. Not gonna happen. And I did it. I finished last place on like some some silly fintech like take on a pig kind of one. But he was like, you know, keep going, keep going after this. So there is definitely a will towards seeing the system kind of like be disrupted and be kind of like changed. And I think the incumbents, you know, are looking at this. It's very difficult for a large organization to be head of the curve on these kind of things, especially when you're dealing with proprietariness versus open source. Like, you know, the the I was listening to someone from RBC at this event. Like, and he was like, we have, are assembling a team of blockchain masters to help make the RBC the leading financial institution in the metaverse. So I'm like, all right, sure, dude. It's like, you, in my opinion, what you guys are doing is you're paying a bunch of blockchain developers huge salaries and they're yep. going to half-ass it during the days and then at night they're going to be coding bitcoin what they really care about yeah they're going to be working on the open source and that's the difference between the open source kind of community community projects versus proprietary ones like sure they're going to have to pay every single person as much as they can to get in there but ultimately, like what? Like, so what are you going to do? You're going to put the RBC like internal ledger on a blockchain? Like, okay, that's great. But why don't you talk to the Banking Association of Canada? Why don't you all? No, no, no. They don't want to give up their proprietary. I yeah, know their, their, their vision. Every institution's vision to date has been very
1: proprietary. They don't want to open up for various reasons because if, you, if, you, if there's an open central repository, new disruptors can easily come into the space and have a, the same kind of data access they do. Right. So, well, so you're exactly, and that's tool, why right?
0: that. The banks don't eat, like. Canadian banks have been like fighting tooth and nail to stop API access towards their solutions. Europe, oh, I am well aware. Yeah, in Europe, it's mandated. It's like required, and there's hacks. I mean, and and, and you know, you're seeing it. Like you know, one of the companies, my friend Gerardo Trevino. He runs a a company called Paybook. And so he basically aggregates a whole bunch of different financial sources towards creating like the potential for radical transparency. He had a senator and or a congressman in Mexico go like radically transparent and like, you know, broadcast all like, you know, very like, you know, corrupt, potentially uh, district. (laughs) He went radically transparent and like just disclosed everything because he believes in like, you know, fixing the problems. But the way that these guys are doing it is they're just like, you know, they're kind of, they're using scripts in a way that are, are like logging in on your behalf to these sites to go pull information from them because the banks aren't giving you API access.
1: Yeah. And the, the ridiculous thing about that is it's actually a less secure way of doing things. It's actually a more cumbersome way of doing things for everybody involved a worse experience for everybody involved i mean i've I've been on mint.com for god knows how long since before they even came to canada and every time a canadian bank moves a box to break the link in the access to that the twitter sphere goes nuts with everybody threatening to leave that bank and it's like do you think that these little games you're playing with us in terms of redesigning your website to make it harder or recently the big play in canada has been pushing out two-factor authentication which by the way i believe it and it should be but the problem is they're doing it for the wrong reason they're doing it to create an obstacle not for, for Actual protection because they want to stop all these data scrapes. But the true, the true hypocrisy of it all is they turn around and offer data aggregation themselves. So it's okay as long as you give it to us. But if you take it and put it anywhere else, you avoid your fraud protection. Like, give me a break. Yeah, oh, the, the joys of living in Canada. What can I say?
0: Well, and, um, I, and I just want, like, you know, from from like the wallet perspective. You know, I was talking to some of the bankers about this as well. It was like you are all trying. You guys want to be the wallet. Okay, you got Apple wanting to be the wallet, but now you want to be the wallet for everything too. And like you look, what Secure Key is doing, like you know, on their like triple blind kind of like collaboration between the banks and the government. I like think it's interesting, but it's like you know, again, it's giving these guys a lot of credo and a lot of power. And I just want, if you can just allow some some access, you know, we'll be able to use the services. Like, why do I actually have to use your lame app if I just had API access? I could still like yep. you know trigger these things from a really you know, kind of cleverly designed app. And under law, you have the right to your data. The
1: issue is does, that law does not stipulate the format it needs to come in. And that's the loophole that they're using to, to basically not, not move forward. But you know, going back to one of your previous points about they're hiring all these Bitcoin ninjas or crypto ninjas to work within them. I mean, I'm sorry. First of all, you're still going to take direction from the top. Which they don't know what the hell they're doing when it comes to this stuff, quite frankly. And you know what? I've never I've never known anyone, especially a techie, to basically move into a bank and be inspired by what they saw there. So you think about the atmosphere and and, and the inspiration you get working for somebody startups trying to change the world like something some blockchain. I and mean, then you go to work for a big six bank in this country. That's called collecting a paycheck. That's not called, you know, really caring about the future. So and you're right, they're gonna spend their time working on their next dig in their side hustle and looking to get out, but they can't. Anyway, we beat up on them enough. So while we're having this conversation, we've seen a price drop in crypto sphere altogether. And we're talking when Bitcoin is now actually a sub-4,000 US. You and I are, I think, of the same mind on this. Share your thoughts in general about this drop-off and the future in general.
0: If Years ago when I got in, Bitcoin was, I remember selling an iPhone case for half a Bitcoin uh, back in the day. That was pretty exceptional <laughs> you Go through these kind of these ebbs and these flows. And, you know, we saw like, you know, some massive linear growth and, and this kind of pullback. It hurts, I guess you could say, but I think it's just necessary in, in order for kind of the next movement kind of shakes shake things out a little bit. It's an excellent time right now to be getting in. Like a lot of people, <laughs> it's so funny. You know when it's at twenty thousand dollars when it was at twenty thousand dollars a coin, everybody was rushing to try and get in like, "Oh no, we're not there." And now when it's at three thousand after being at twenty thousand or thirty seven hundred, people think it might just go so much lower, but like honestly, like now is a is a good time to be uh, you know, to be putting some of that into your wallets? And getting more exposure to it? Yeah, I mean, so end
1: of the story. We both believe that this is going to continue to exist and persist. And it's it's, you're absolutely right. It was human nature. Everybody got in on greed and gets out of fear. And it's hilarious because as I deal with in my day job – What's the old rule on investing? Buy low and sell high. What does everybody inevitably do? The exact bloody opposite. And this is no different than what we've seen before. And I also, one of the things I have a frustration with is the people who think that a price drop invalidates the value of, of the entire platform. That's absolutely not the case. So a couple of questions to wrap up before we go. What, if you had one wish as to what you could change in your zone of the universe there, what would it be? I had one wish to what
0: I could change in my universe. Yeah, specifically your realm of technology. Well, I mean, I'd love to to realize this this unified wallet to move away from paper receipts, to move away from oil based uh, point of sale machines, to increase feedback loops and better systems that lead to better service and product delivery. I'd like to see. So basically, you wish that your book would. Co- I'd like to see everybody having Jamie packs on them, at all
1: the time. So, playing music. so basically, we're talking about your book coming true in
0: reality. So I'd like to see the book come true, and that's something yeah. we're working on. Also, like you know, people to understand too that we're like there's so much kind of consumption of fud news all the time, and yeah. just turn the TVs off, guys. Like. You know, you're, you're always going to come out depressed or angry or, like, polarized from that. Like, understand that we live in a really good time. Like, it, the world is a beautiful place. There's so much opportunity in front of us. We are in an age of abundance. And we need to rejig some of the basic systems and realize that that value
1: proposition yeah i agree with you and if anyone doubts that i think you just google what is it charts that prove that this is the best time ever to live or something and there's something like 20 charts that show everything from infant mortality to poverty alliance to everything is showing that no matter how bleak you think it is now there was no better time to be alive so but
0: trump, but but trump ah, yeah well thank but you warming bye I, to fight this. I don't even want to get out of bed this morning. Ah. Yeah, that's it. Well, if you don't get out of bed, you're just waving the flag
1: and, you know, thank God for turn limits is all I can say. Ah. Um, so, what do you think the biggest challenges facing the blockchain community are in general at this point?
0: Insidious agents. <laughs> 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 the infinite number of scams that can be run in any one space, yes. The scams, like, you know, the fact that there's a lot of brilliant people in this have been dedicating a lot of, you know, positive attention and that, you know, potentially the allure of, deceit and dishonesty might like, you know, might come up and people start scamming. Like yesterday a friend sent me this message being like, do you know about this wallet? I think my friend lost about $20,000, lost all their crypto because of this like sketchy tether wallet. I was like, oh man, but yeah, like there's scammers that are out there that bring down everything and that are just in it for a quick buck. There's the crypto lockers that are, you know, are hacking and making people exploiting the super insecure nature of our digital lives right now. So, you know, again, I come back to this wonderful book about the ethos that we're espousing, about retaking controls of our keys, about securing our identities, about securing our privacy so that you can't have... Dude, somebody went into a Rogers store and presented a fake ID with my name on it to the agent there and swapped my SIM, swapped my phone number to their phone. Uh. Yep, yep, that, that can happen. I mean, <laughs> Thankfully I, I was like aware. I even warned Rogers that this would likely happen. And they're like, Okay, don't worry, Mr. Kemper. It's everything's gonna be just fine. Like yes. no.
1: I am sitting in a call center and God knows where is gonna make sure that every frontline sales agent knows to watch out for this scam.
0: Or some homie like a buddy who works at the on the front there's a frontline soldier at a Rogers store and goodness gracious no where where it was, but he's he's been corrupted and like yeah okay let's do this. I can, oh yeah, no I that's that that's the other point. And yeah. um, exactly. what do you mean the minimum wage
1: person is going to basically turn around and, and try to find a way to run a scam? Like that's like <laughs> oh man, what a world. Okay, final question for you before we wrap up. What about this space excites you the most? I only ask hard questions at the end, make you think. That's that?
0: <laughs> So I really believe that this space is going to free a lot of people from, like, tedious, monotonous, like, processes that have, like, you know, that hinder us and get us down. Like, I think this technology will allow us, you know, along with financial literacy and political literacy too, that maybe we can get rid of income tax one day soon. You keep saying this, we I, I, were gonna have to talk
1: offline about what exactly you see is the mechanism for raising funds for social programming, but whatever, <laughs> we'll
0: talk about that after. Well, I think the costs on everything can come down a great deal. Um, substantially, substantially, yeah. Through this, like I think the medical system, like you know, healthcare costs can come down. Like we don't have to continue forecasting linear growth. Like let's look at the exponential changes that happening all around us. Yep. There's many things, but breaking out of slavery, I think is one. Would be one great thing. You know, like what really excites me about this choice—the fact that we now have choice at base money. You know, like choose crypto. I was born using Canadian dollar. I don't have to use it anymore. I mean, I have to use it for certain things, but I now have choice. The, just the whole swath of opportunity, hopefully moving, like, you know, I think you know as part of a greater kind of convergence, just crypto like being one point of it, like, you know, when we look at all the automation, when we look at deep learning, when we look at the AI, when we look at robotics and technology, the breakthroughs happening all over the place, and the movement towards an abundant society, there is and like you know an opportunity for us to move past like you know a labor based society where you know everything is measured in the amount of minutes or hours that we put into things when mm-hmm. you know a lot of, like we need to we need to think a little bit differently about that
1: agreed and it 's interesting because this is an interesting solution for so many problems that comes about at an interesting time where you are we are dealing with things such as AI and automation that are going to permanently disrupt the way we work and what's valued in work as well. So interesting point.
0: So Kyle, thanks Kyle, again for taking the time. Thank you, buddy. This was great. Thanks, <laughs> That was it a great. Cool. Discussion. And I really appreciate it. I look forward to doing it again with you sometime soon. Absolutely. And best luck with the book. Well, thank you very much. It's on Amazon. It's called The Unified Wallet, Unlocking the Digital Golden Age. If you want to find me on Twitter? I'm at Kyle Kemper on LinkedIn. I'm all over the place. Hit me up. Yep, it'll all be in the show notes. Take care. Okay, touch out. So
1: that was my conversation with Kyle Kemper. Clearly we've covered a lot of territory in that, a lot of big ideas, and quite frankly, that's because there is so much potential behind this technology that frankly it's hard to overdo it when we talk about it. So with that, I encourage you to check out Kyle's Twitter feed and his works, and specifically his book. It's not the longest read in the world, so you should be able to tear through it pretty quickly. And with that, as always, I am Jason Pereira, and this is FinTech Impact. Until next time, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is you get your podcasts.
0: Thank you.